I am staying in the book of Ruth, um, the, the entire book of Ruth today as a survey in, in their Sunday school class. So I had a little bit of a, a motivation to stick with that because I was already looking at it. And uh, the other motivation I had for sticking with that is because I didn't know I would be standing up here until a few days ago. But uh, I'm very thankful that uh, so much of our uh, leadership uh, wanted to go and support uh, David uh, Crow and his family and uh, get to know the people in that church uh, in Douglasville. That's a real blessing, and I, I pray that that will be uh, a continued blessing uh, for this church, the association uh, with that church. So open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. And I'm going to read selected portions and then just uh, make some comments. Um, first of all, the book of Ruth is, was written uh, during the time of the judges. Uh, as you already know, the Abraham was promised uh, a great progeny uh, to be a great nation, to uh, be blessed and for other nations to be blessed who bless Israel. And uh, the covenantal promises that were given to uh, Abraham uh, were uh, Israel, I won't say forgot them, but so much of the time we read in the Old Testament how Israel was not faithful as God was faithful to Israel. Israel was saved many times uh, <coughs> in spite of themselves, by a faithful God. And Abraham made his way down to the Holy Land and didn't, didn't, his family didn't stay there very long before they went to Egypt. But those promises went to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, uh, Moses, and then we have uh, Joshua, who is considered by some to be the first judge. He is more of a type of that than he is of a king. Uh, and he succeeded Moses, so he's kind of in between. So you have a, a time where there is no monarchy in Israel yet. And there's and it's a time of darkness in Israel. It is a time when Israel except for these judges who are not judges in the sense that we think of them today. As you know, they were deliverers of one type or another. They were either physical deliverers or leaders in some way or um, assassins, if I may uh, uh, use that term, uh, but uh, that's probably not the right term. But in doing God's work, uh, they were sent to take down uh, rulers that were already there. Samson, uh, for example, uh, never had an army, never uh, had an organization. Uh, he just did his thing. But he kept the other nation, he, the Philistines in particular, on their toes uh, during this time period. Now, the judges uh, operated at different uh, geographies, locales in Israel, throughout Israel. And so when you have a judge, it doesn't mean he was over all of Israel. 
But they were effective. God used the judges, even though they were not spiritual giants by any means. Most of the time, they were uh, strictly average at best as far as their spiritual maturity was concerned. But God still uses them in his sovereignty. Just like Pharaoh, who was raised up strictly to show the contrast of, of evil, uh, in the time of Moses, in the plagues, uh, he, God used everything Pharaoh did. Even though Pharaoh was a skunk, uh, he used everything that Pharaoh did. Uh, time and time again in Scripture, God does that. In his great sovereignty, uh, he can and does manage every circumstance. Good circumstances and bad circumstances. Cold weather, warm weather, uh, illness, health. Uh, God was sovereign when he took John Griffin recently. God is sovereign over the health of each one of us. He gives each one of us uh, our little thorns uh, to deal with. And if God is sovereign... Uh, meaning that he controls not only every event, but what uh, happens in every person's life and every molecule in the entire universe, then one way that I like to remind myself and need to remind myself is that if he's sovereign, that it's impossible for him not to be in control and involved in every circumstance of my life even when I take it on myself to get angry or when I'm driving to work, uh, call, call other drivers' names uh, or just whatever it happens to be, uh, the small things and the big things. Uh, I have right now in particular, I have this one uh, project at work that simply will not go away. Uh, we have long ago sent, spent all the profit that was in the job, and then we've spent it again, and we've spent it again, and the job just will not go away for various reasons. And that happens to be my test right now when I wake up in the middle of the night to not uh, obsess on that job so that I cannot sleep. I, that's just one example for me. We all have our our own examples. All right, so in this time of Judges, we do have one little bright spot. We have uh, the book of Ruth, which was uh, given to us during the time of Judges, where we see a very small little uh, family situation, you might say, uh, Elimelech. And the one reason I like Elimelech is I just like saying his name, Uh when we were in Sunday school this morning, you might have heard the sixth grade boys, fifth and sixth grade boys singing a limelick, a limelick, a limelick. Okay, the, um, there are some people in Scripture that you remember just because of their names. Well, Elimelech, that's the main reason we remember Elimelech. It's not because he, he did anything beyond that. As a matter of fact, Elimelech picked up his family, and here he was in the promised land that the Israelites had waited 450 years to get to, and as soon as there is a famine, he picks up his family and moves to 
the other side of the tracks, Moab, uh, Moab uh, am I saying that right? Moab, oh, it sounds like a man's name and I always hesitate. And he's, he puts his family in the middle of a bunch of Moabites and uh, in fact his two sons uh, and his wife go with him and Naomi is his wife and uh, his, his two sons. Elimelech is not outstanding in his spiritual life, apparently, but that's not really the plot of the story anyway. Elimelech, the reason I mention him uh, at all is because of what I said earlier. God is sovereign over the life of every person, everything, every molecule. He wanted that family in, in, to be uh, in Moab. Now, Moab is... Uh, down south and on the other side of the Dead Sea, and it's it's been it's been a thorn in the flesh of Israel for a long time. Uh, so I, I just can't conceive of him moving his family from uh, a, a drought situation to a desert area uh, in the midst of a, an enemy. There, I would uh, I'm thinking it was an arid area, not all that pleasant, to, even uh, for vegetation. But he does, and he has Malon, his son, and Chilion, if I'm pronouncing that right, his other son, and they marry Ruth and Orpah, respectively. Um, you, you know the story, but I, I'm going to uh, read a part of it uh, and selected parts. In chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 3. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons, and, and they took, now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. So Naomi is uh, under duress. Uh, she is uh, in a bad situation, especially for an Israelite woman where your progeny, your family situation is everything. And her security is gone, and she, she's not even able to uh, retain her land, and she's about to sell her land or has sold her land. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters and, with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Now he's talking. She's talking about Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem is uh, the name. Bethlehem is uh, bread basket or some such thing as that. So Bethlehem is known to be a place uh, where there is plenty, and yet it, they left it because of the drought. Therefore, she went out from there, that place where she was, with her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-laws, Go return each to your mother's house. So she's trying to get her two daughter-in-laws to go back into uh, their families where they can find husbands. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she's wanting them to go back home. Uh, she kissed them, and uh, Naomi uh, told the daughters, 
Uh, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? They're trying to go with her. Are Are there still sons in my womb? No, they're not. Skipping down to uh, 13. Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept. Verse 15. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. She's talking to Ruth and Orpah has, has gone back to her family. And then she makes an interesting comment to me. She says, back to her people and to her gods. Uh, Naomi, in her duress or in her stress situation or perhaps in her immaturity, uh, is encouraging one of her daughter, both of her daughter-in-laws to go back into a heathen environment in Moab. Uh, she's also bitter. Uh, we'll see in a minute. She's bitter. She, she renames herself uh, Bitterness, uh, Mara, uh, and, but Orpah goes and she's being kind to Naomi, but she goes back. Ruth has a different mindset altogether. Now, what I'm about to read, uh, you've all uh, known for all your lives, and uh, all of literature knows this section, this beautiful, eloquent section here, uh, in, uh, starting in verse 16. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. She's determined to stay with her mother-in-law. She has a special kind of love for her mother-in-law, and more importantly, she has a special kind of love for the one true God of Israel. She does not want to go back to Moab. She does not want to go back... Uh, to a heathen environment. We don't know all the details, but she has a heart for God. And in verse 20, um, picking up, uh, but she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Uh, I mean, not call me Naomi, call me Mara. That's what we mentioned. So she is... uh, I don't know if she's feeling sorry for herself but, um, or th- thinking that she's being disciplined or some other explanation that you can come up with. But she's not thinking uh, in a way that she should be thinking. God has dealt with me bitterly. He, she said, I went out of Israel full and the Lord has brought me back again empty. So her glass is all the way empty. When she thought it was all the way full when she left. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So, Naomi is, I'm not discounting her adversity, uh, her situation. Uh, it is hard. And uh, she's deciding to go back. And she has gone back. And when she gets back, uh, the journey back, she hasn't 
uh, fared any better spiritually. By the time she gets back, she her old friends greet her and say, Naomi, is it you? And uh, she says, yes, it's me, but don't call me Naomi. Now, Naomi, uh, she has enough scripture to know uh, how to have a, a better outlook, more of a mature uh, relationship with the Lord. Uh, in all things, give thanks. Uh, she doesn't have that scripture, but she has um, the enough scripture from uh, the Old Testament to know when Joseph, uh, his brothers, uh, did all that they did to him. And Joseph uh, said to, the, to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Uh, she had enough Romans 8.28 type uh, verses to uh, go to, but she wasn't doing that. Uh, I, I think of the 23rd Psalm, uh, though we may be walking through the valley of the shadow of, in her case, famine, exile, loss of a husband, loss of two sons, uh, widowhood in a foreign, hostile land, daughters-in-law, um, who are from a heathen nation. Um, Though we may walk through those kind of valleys, we should fear what? No evil. We should fear nothing. And fear and discouragement is uh, something that we all have to deal with from one time or another. And so I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I have to deal with it as well. What Naomi... uh, should have done is taken the scripture that she knew and applied it the best that she could. Now, there's a book, used to be on our book called Step by Step, and it has to do with the finding God's guidance in your life. And it basically talks about uh, three ways to do that. And one is to read scripture, and where there's a clear command, just obey it and do it. And then the next one is read scripture, learn scripture. And when there's not a clear command, uh, be mature enough to put two plus two together and do the right thing. That's uh, applying scripture to your life when there's not a direct corollary to your scripture to your circumstances. That's the second area. But the third area is just the providence of God. If you were to put this on a bullseye, the center of the bullseye would be the commands and promises of God. Okay, I can read those. It's just up to me to obey and, and walk the walk. And then the next row out is for me to uh, grow in grace and the knowledge of, of our Lord Jesus Christ and learn how to apply Scripture to a situation that has no direct corollary, but I still have guidance from the Scripture. But the third one out here, this last row in the bullseye, it's just... Do I believe God is sovereign or do I not? Do I believe that God in his providential will controls all things or do I not? Am I going to rest in God's wonder of of who he is? We have a little uh, acronym that we use in our class about how important it is to rely on what you know about God. I mean, that is really what our personal uh, relationship comes from is how well do I know God? Do I, 
do I know of his sovereignty? Well, if I only know of his sovereignty, then I only know part of his essence, part of his character. I need to know his, his justice, his omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. Um, I need to know uh, of his love. I need to know what that really means as best that I can. Now, we're not going to understand it all. And we're not going to share these attributes with him in some cases. But in other cases, we are. Like in love, we do. We are to share his love and to love him and love others and to uh, experience love. But when it comes to the justice of God, I, it's not up to me to be just along with God. I just depend on the justice of God. So anyway, uh, in our class we have a little thing that we use called Joe Loves Rio. Justice, omniscience, uh, love, omnipresence, veracity, which would be truth. That's kind of a trick to get truth in there. Um, eternal life, uh, S, sovereignty, R-I-O, Rio, uh, his righteousness, his immutability, he never changes, and his omnipresence. And then you can add, I mean, that's just one way of talking about the character of God. There, there are plenty of other discussions you could have about God's goodness, God's faithfulness. And so you could say, uh, Joe loves Rio faithfully good, or whatever you want to do. But it's, it's important to me. Uh, to be able to go to to think about God and to be able to think about it without going into a reference book somewhere to look up the attributes of God. Well, Naomi uh, could have made those applications, and uh, maybe she did in parts of her life, but we have way more available to us in that regard, and we, we certainly... Uh, should not fail to do so. Now, themes that are in the book of Ruth uh, in, include uh, love and compassion, of course, which, by the way, this book, uh, I started to say a while ago, stuck right in the middle of the judges, right in the middle of all this failure of the Israelites, right in the middle of all this dark ages. We have this little pocket of, of love and compassion and, and good things that come uh, from Ruth and Boaz, mainly. Naomi as well, somewhat. Not so much Limelech and the, and the boys. Uh, we just don't know that much about them. I'm not trying to badmouth them. We just don't know that much about them. But we do know that Ruth and Boaz uh, exemplify wonderful things for us to take note of. Love and compassion. Uh, Ruth uh, had great love for Naomi and even greater love for God. She barely knew God, but she had a heart for God, and God was drawing Ruth, and Ruth uh, had a wonderful love for God. Um, she also, uh, Ruth had a very uh, discerning way about her. Uh, she was a very kind person to Naomi and to Boaz and to the strangers uh, that she worked alongside of. Um, she was very loyal. We, Pam and I watched a movie the other night and it was about two characters and, and it was a character study and just conversation back and forth. And the lady was asked a question, well, what is, what is the thing that you do well? 
And it was a very strange answer, but you have to see the movie, you'll understand why she said it. She said, well, I guess I'm just loyal. And it's a strange answer, but it's a good answer. You know, there's a time for loyalty, and there's a time for uh, hanging in there with what you know is right and with who you know is right and with who you know is doing the right thing. So uh, Ruth was very loyal to Naomi, was she not? She became very loyal to God as well, more so later, but she was learning rapidly about God. Uh, Approximately a decade went by while Elimelech and Naomi were living there. And then that, so I don't know how long, none of us know how long uh, Ruth was in the family, but possibly for years. So uh, she learned about uh, the one true God of Israel for possibly for some time. Obedience, faithfulness, humility. Uh, Ruth was willing to do what Naomi said. Uh, When they found out that uh, Boaz was uh, a kinsman redeemer, uh, he was one who had the resources with which to buy back the land. And a kinsman redeemer's responsibilities were to Do that, to purchase back land of a relative who lost their land, uh, to um, purchase them back if they happen to be a slave, you redeem them out of slavery even, which is a great analogy for us and our Savior and that Boaz provides for us there. Uh, To avenge a murder of a family member, which thankfully we have police officers uh, in a different system today. But when there was no such system, uh, there was an authorization uh, for rightfully happening, and I don't know the details, for the avenging of a murder. This was what a redeemer, kinsman redeemer could do. And the last thing would be to provide an heir for the woman who had no children of her own, especially no sons, who would carry on the family name, which was extremely important in Israel. So those were the things that a kinsman redeemer could do, and Boaz qualified. He had the resources, and uh, Ruth goes to work in his field, and she brings back grain and uh, tells Naomi that she's working in Boaz's field, and uh, Naomi says, oh, well, then... You need to keep working in Boaz's field because he is a close kinsman and he could act as a kinsman redeemer for you and for me, and which he did. So the, these uh, qualities in, in this story are, are very important for us to see lived out in a very dark time otherwise in Israel. Love, loyalty, obedience, faithfulness, humility, and redemption, the willingness to be uh, a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. Now, Boaz, uh, he exemplified some of these qualities of love. He loved God, of course. Uh, in We're not going to read the whole chapter, but he refers to the Lord a lot. And one place that I really enjoyed seeing, being a businessman, uh, he rides into... Uh, his fields one day, and uh, the greeting, this uh, probably a fairly standard greeting for for uh, a 
man who loves God and who has employees who love God. And we may try this at Mid-South. Uh, he rides in and he says, uh, the Lord be with you. And uh, they answer him, the Lord bless you. And this apparently was a fairly standard greeting for those who did love the Lord. The Lord be with you. The, uh, the Lord bless you. Shalom uh, be a similar thing, uh, but not the exact same literal meaning. Uh, Kevin Hines taught me uh, how to say hello uh, in Kazakh. And uh, I don't know if I can say it right now, but it was something like, Salam Aleikum. And, uh, and then the answer is, Aleikum Salam. So you just kind of say it backwards. Or Shalomat Sizba, if you're talking to a lady. I'm really impressing you now. I know. And then I think she says, uh, she says the same thing that the man says back, Aleikum Salam. Uh, these are uh, greetings that are cordial uh, greetings. But this greeting here is, is more to the point of people who love God, and I just love it. Uh, so we see by that that Boaz loves the people he works with. He loves, I mean, our, the, this, we are to uh, love God with all our heart, strength, soul, and mind, and our neighbors as ourselves. Our church logo has arrows that go that way and that way for that reason. We're to love God and love our neighbors. We're here for each other, and we're here for uh, people we work with and for the fallen world. We're here for other human beings who are made in the likeness of God. And, uh, but we are here, first of all, to love God and to glorify Him, honor Him, and thereby enjoy Him by getting to know Him better and better. And, we, and that's forever, starting when we're saved. And uh, that's a wonderful thing that we have. All right. Now, Boaz demonstrated, uh, obviously, these, these traits of obedience and redemption and loyalty and faithfulness and humility and love. And naturally, God reciprocated. Um, so what we want to understand here is... Just a, a very simple thing. I mean, Moab is not a place where God said, I would bless you, Moab, and uh, I will bless those who bless you, Moab. He said that of Israel. And he told the Israelites, don't marry the Canaanites. Wipe them out. The, the Canaanite, it was such an unusual, only God can say that, and that's a hard thing. But... God wanted the land purged of Canaanites. And then you have all the surrounding countries that were against Israel that God was not uh, behind. Even though God did not prohibit the marriage of an Israelite to a Moabitess, uh, the, the Moabitess or, that, or any Moabite that came into the uh, faith was uh, monitored for 10 years. Uh, they, were, they were not a band, but they were not welcomed uh, with total open arms. They were welcomed because it was Israel's job to ev evangelize the nations. They didn't go out to the nations. They were to be where they were, and, and uh, uh, the people would come to them to learn of God, just as Ruth did. 
she came into Israel to learn of God. So what can we learn? Conclusion. It doesn't matter whether you're a, a Moabitess, um, you're from Timbuktu, uh, an American. There's no such thing as a Christian nation. Uh, however, Israel is special. Israel, God said he will sustain. And he did it all through this time of the judges. He did it while they were in Egypt for 400 years. He's doing it today, even though they are in a general state of unbelief. He is preserving his cherished nation and will to the end. Now, whether you are, we're not of Israel, we're grafted in. Uh, just like Ruth was grafted in. No, not really much different when you think of it that way. So the point is that what we need to know about God, uh, thankfully, he's a heart man. He wants our heart. Justin's sermon this morning was, was just out of sight. I love that passage, but he did a great job on it. Uh, when he said that uh, Isaiah got up there and uh, talked to the, the authorities on the one hand and the authorities on the other hand, but what he really was talking to was the people. And the people all swung over because they saw what God did. They were wishy-washy. Now, they might have been wishy-washy a week later, but they got the job done that day when they took all the prophets of Baal out and did away with them. God is after their hearts. And when Justin said, he's, God's after their hearts, I, I just almost stood up. Uh, God is after the heart, and that is what we are to have for God. That is what we are to have for one another. We are to learn for all our lives how to love one another and how to encourage one another, how to pray for one another. Um, when I was 15 years old, I became a Christian. Uh, I had been going to church all my life. My mother took me to church for 15 years prior to that. And that is why I thought she would be enthusiastic when I went to her and told her that I had trusted in Christ. And how I see things through different eyes now. And life is wonderful and I can't wait to see what comes next. And, and everyone needs to trust Christ. I mean, I'll, you know, I was out there. And uh, I was a little over the top, but uh, I'm not uh, ashamed of that. Uh, I remember we were sitting in a restaurant, and with all due respect for my mother, uh, she is, uh, we, my family was in an, a, a church that was somewhat liberal, certainly not evangelical. She did not understand what I was saying at all, and yet she is the one that took me to church all these years, and I thought I would get a different reaction. But what she said to me was, Ronnie, you're going to get over this. You you'll you'll calm down later. She didn't she didn't get it. Well, last uh, on election, I, all my life I've been praying for my mother, and you, all of you know that I've wondered is she one of the elect or not? Am I going to be able to sit down and have a conversation uh, and fellowship with my mother in eternity? I, I longed to, to know that I would be able to do that with my mother, just as I knew that I would do it with my father. And uh, God is faithful. Uh, I was wondering, is she one of the elect? 
And on election day, whenever election day was, she trusted Christ. So she, I got the word that she was one of the elect on election day, and I just thought that was the most fantastic word I had ever gotten after 50-something years of praying for my mother and longing to know that she truly would be there. Uh, there's nothing better than that. Uh, so I don't know how I got off on that, but I, I'm glad I did. Um, Ruth, she had a heart for God. She was a Moabitess. Uh, she learned of the one true God by her relationship uh, with Naomi and took the lead. She, when Naomi said, go, go to the gleaning floor and uncover uh, Boaz's feet after, in, in the middle of the night while he's sleeping, and uh, you sleep at his feet, and uh, sure enough, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's startled. And the reason he's at the threshing floor is because he's got a pile of grain. And this is the public threshing floor, and he's got to guard his pile of grain. And uh, he wakes up in the middle and something startles him. He's probably not sleeping that uh, uh, soundly anyway because he's got to protect his pile of grain. And he looks up and, and he says to uh, Ruth, who are you? He's thinking at first that there's this person down there, and i got to find out what's going on here. And then he realizes that it's a female, and then, of course, the story unfolds. And then he is, he is immediately uh, warmed by what she has done. He knew what she had done. Naomi knew what the procedure was. All, none of us know what the procedure is. But they knew what the procedure was. She went to him at night. She was very discerning. She was very careful not to embarrass him uh, in the daytime, perhaps. Uh, She left out of there uh, while it was still dark to avoid the appearance of evil. She was a very uh, sharp uh, person as far as knowing what was... uh, She was discerning as to what was good uh, protocol and uh, just in general. So it's a beautiful story. It's got a lot of great uh, examples for us. And I would just say that in Matthew 3.45, uh, there's a parable that's one sentence long that I thought of. And it's not a direct analogy, but it is an analogy. It, uh, she, uh, she found a pearl of great price. We've all who have trusted in Christ in this room have found the pearl of great price. And we should feel the joy of knowing that we're going to have that pearl uh, revealed to us more and more throughout all of eternity. And we'll fellowship with one another in a special way because we've known each other in this life. I I feel confident of that. Uh, But the, the verse in Matthew 13, 45 talks about the kingdom of heaven The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking the beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought the pearl. He knew the pearl of great price when he saw it. We've known the pearl of great price if we've trusted in Christ. Our job is to continue to learn about our wonderful Lord And to serve him, our job here is to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. And according to 
the Westminster Confession, I think it is. I'm no theologian. But the first tenet there is for us to uh, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, I love that command. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can glorify you. You've given us the means of doing that. We can't do it in ourselves. Uh, We're made in your image, but we're fallen. We're sinful. And we throw ourselves at your feet and and ask you to help us to be your faithful, uh, loving, compassionate uh, children. Help us, Lord, to uh, reach out to a lost world. Thank you for the... Uh, fellowship and the teaching that we have here, uh, especially the uh, thank you for the Word of God where we can always go for uh, your perfect truth to apply to our lives. Thank you for this evening, and uh, again, I ask that you filter anything that should not have been said and encourage us uh, in every way possible. And we thank you for our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.